0: I would like to do something where I make jokes about the actual poses, like a video where I potentially just like call them by a more descriptive. Like I was thinking pigeon pose. It just really doesn't make any sense to me, but like maybe calling it like pigeon who's been instructed to do pigeon pose or something.
1: (laughs) Ginny Hogan is a stand-up comedian and yoga teacher with Yoga Alliance who writes for outlets such as The New Yorker, The Atlantic, and Vulture. After leaving a data science job in Silicon Valley, Hogan started a blog comedically analyzing data from her own dating profiles and online dates. Originally, it was supposed to be kind of academic, but I got bored of that pretty quickly, she told Forbes. It slowly turned into a humor blog. Once she found her voice in comedy, Hogan also started down the road to health and wellness by quitting drinking and getting her 200-hour YTT certification, which led her to a silent retreat where she found herself lost in the woods for six hours. That's not a metaphor. She wrote about the ordeal for Salon. For Yoga Journal, I'm Lindsay Tucker, and this is The Yoga Show. Hogan is the author of Toxic Femininity in the Workplace, a satirical critique of modern corporate culture. She's currently working on Yes, We Mustard, a scripted Audible original series about a corrupt condiment company, while writing Dating is Ruining My Love Life, a book of humorous essays, out Spring 2022 and a television pilot. Coming to your screens, TBD. Jenny, hi. Thank you for being on the yoga show today. Hi,
0: thanks for having me. It's great to be here.
1: Awesome. Where are you joining us from?
0: I'm in Los Angeles right now.
1: Very cool. Um, Something that I love from your stand-up was how you started talking about dating in quarantine. Yeah. Yeah. So tell us about that. How did that happen?
0: Yeah. So I actually have a boyfriend who I met in quarantine, which is so weird because I was never in relationships before i don't know if quarantine is just conducive to that but um <laughs> yeah i mean i did like the whole quarantine dating thing where you like facetime them and then you go on like a walk with a mask on and everything um and i will say i kind of preferred it to regular dating like at least with facetiming like you can just like hang up on people and say that your wi-fi went down you know and you like <laughs> yeah really can't do that if you like go to a bar with a guy i just found it a lot more efficient um and then, yeah, once I met my boyfriend, we both had so much free time that we just started hanging out a lot, so I think it, it moved a little bit faster.
1: And then where did you go uh, first date IRL?
0: He came over to... I was, like, at the time living in a guest house, and uh, he, like, sat in my lawn for a little bit. Um, oh, but, like, we were, like, wearing masks across the... Uh, maybe we weren't wearing masks the whole time, but um, we were, like, six feet apart the whole time. And the second time we hung out... um we also, I think at that point, like, we were mostly social distance, and then we went back to his house to, like, order food, but we tried to, like, keep a social distance, mm. and then we got tested, and then from then on, we were not social distanced.
1: Yeah, so the dating testing game has changed.
0: Totally. Oh, yeah, I know. Well, I also made him get an STD test, so. <laughs> in that sense... It just, yeah, keeps adding on
1: more. So you're sitting across from someone, a stranger, in a mask, giving each other eyeballs, and, like, how are you just, like, oh, this this is it, this is the guy?
0: Yeah, it was so hard in masks because, for one thing, like, I also live in L.A., it's very sunny and bright, and I would be wearing sunglasses, and, like, truly, when you're in a mask and sunglasses, you might as well have a paper bag over your face. Like, there's nothing (laughs) you can, like, do with your face to indicate inter- interest basically so it's like you can't really like smile or like yeah do anything with your eyes um
1: i cry i in my sunglasses and mask all the time
0: <laughs> you cry <laughs> yeah yeah that's what <laughs> i mean honestly i do think that quarantine has made crying in public a lot easier because no one will approach you you know exactly have you found ways to be flirty like in masks like getting good at like eye contact and that kind of thing
1: yeah i guess it is pretty eye contact driven. Um, yeah, there's a cute guy at, at the liquor store. I'm always like, oh, hey, I'm cute under here, I swear. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah, you can do a lot with, with eyes, for sure. You can, like, bat them.
1: Oh, yeah, totally. And I can cover up my mask knee, which is awesome.
0: Yeah. <laughs> no, the, the masks are good for not having to wear foundation or anything.
1: Yeah. So, all right, so your quarantine endeavors so far have been finding a boyfriend and going to ytt is that true yeah
0: yeah i've done a (laughs) few work-related things but i would say those are my big like personal accomplishments although i just learned how to knit so that's kind of
1: oh very cool
0: but yeah the ytt was cool i mean yeah i I liked it a lot
1: so what what made you decide to do a, a socially distanced ytt
0: yeah, so it was completely online. Um, okay. I maybe would have preferred socially distance, but basically I wanted to get certified as a yoga instructor for years, and I had always thought, like, at some point I would, like, take a month off from my life and go to, like, Bali or something, um, and I, but then I sort of, that seemed not that feasible, and then I was looking into ones in LA where you could go, like, it was, like, all weekend and then one Wednesday night or something, um, and, I was, like, about to sign up for it, but it was, like, a lot of money, and then quarantine hit, and I sort of tabled that plan, but then the online yoga school was, um... It was just like a lot more affordable, I think, because it was online and possibly because of the pandemic, too. They cut their prices. Mm -hmm. You could go at your own pace. And it was like um, basically like you had to go through a series of modules and then take quizzes on them. And um, then the final presentation was to teach a class. And so I taught one over Zoom and I recorded it and then I sent in the recording. As much as I liked it, I still might want to do like an in-person one later because I do think that Mm -hmm. that could be a very cool experience.
1: Did you do it more for the experience or do you want to teach?
0: I um I want to teach. I had an idea for a long time that I wanted to like volunteer teach yoga in prisons because I knew a woman in college who did that. Um, but I don't think I uh, would want necessarily like to teach too many classes a week. But maybe just even to teach like once a week to my friends or something could be fun. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So, what drew you into yoga? How long have you been practicing?
0: I've been practicing yoga since I was um, a senior in college. It actually kind of like. It changed my life when I started doing it. I am just, like, extremely inflexible, even as, like, a child. Um, and Like, I could never touch my toes, ever. And um, I started doing yoga because I found, like, some free class near me twice a week. Um, and it was just, like, amazing how much more flexible I was right away and how good my body felt. Like, it mm-hmm. just – and I it's not – like, I liked to exercise. Like, I liked to run, but – and I would, like, lift weights. But I never did anything that was, like – at all like stretching or kind of like restorative um so yoga was like I just like became obsessed with it um and then I've done it yeah I've done it ever since sometimes I'll I'll go through periods of like I join a yoga studio I go to like a 90 minute yoga class like five times a week and then sometimes it's like I'm doing other things and I try to do yoga like once a week as like a workout. but, yeah, I've been doing it for a really long time. I think I got interested in becoming an instructor. I quit drinking like a year and a half ago, and i I was just reading a lot of a lot of like sober memoirs and that kind of thing. And that got me very interested in like Kundalini yoga, which I'd never done before. Um, I got very into like meditation. I went on a silent meditation retreat, mm-hmm. and I just kind of felt like also getting certified as a yoga instructor was just like, one of the paths I like I wanted to sort of deepen my knowledge around a lot of those things and this was like one of the paths I was interested in going down um but I really didn't like I I didn't know when I would do it I I kind of thought to have the time to fit it in I was gonna have to like take a month off of like everything else um Mm -hmm. yeah so but the yeah that's kind of around when I got interested in it but I have loved yoga for like a very long time
1: so yeah so one of the things I wanted to ask you about was the um silent retreat because you wrote about that for a couple outlets yeah. That I read about. So, yeah, why did you decide to go on the retreat and how was it?
0: I decided to go on it because I was like kind of tapping into my spiritual side a lot when I first quit drinking. I was reading, um, I, there was one woman in particular, Holly Whitaker, who I follow very closely in terms of her like sobriety related material. Um, and she writes a ton about it. I don't agree with like everything, but she's like a really good writer. And I was, I, one of the things she had done was go on a silent meditation retreat. So I, um, I wanted to go as well um and yeah so I signed up for one um it was a really weird experience so it was at Spirit Rock in um Northern California it's so beautiful uh yeah like I there were so many good parts of it um yeah the food was incredible uh it was like and it wasn't one of the ones there are the 10 day long ones that or the vipassana ones that people say are like really not super pleasant because you're like in bunk Mm beds and stuff it wasn't like that Mm -hmm. Um, it was like totally comfortable the only thing is that on the second day there i went on a hike by myself and i got lost in the woods for literally like six hours and i like thought i was gonna die um because i just was so unused to not having my phone and no one knew that i was there in the woods because obviously like i um hadn't told anyone because the retreat was silent and (laughs) i this happened so early in the retreat that i think i kind of like had a little bit of ptsd like i remember even like i made it out um it was like really gruesome i think my deep fear while i was like stuck in the woods it was i was like in a foresty area on like a very like steep hill And I thought that if I, like, twisted my ankle or, like, broke my leg or something, then I would really, like, be completely... Oh, God. Like, destroyed. (laughs) That didn't happen. Um, Thank God. Yeah. But uh, I remember that night after I'd, like, gotten back and, like, showered and I did, like, a tick check and stuff, um, we were doing, like, an evening meditation and I saw the sun, like, setting over the woods in the background and I, like, had these, like, horrible flashbacks and just, like, imagined being stuck in the woods in the middle of the night. Um and that kind of like terror about the woods like never went away and the other thing like over the rest of the week and the other thing is that like they they advertise how beautiful spirit rock is and how many like nice hikes you can take and stuff and they emphasize that as like a big part of like getting into your mindful zone but i never left like a like 50 foot radius after that like i was like very scared to go into any kind of like anywhere where i couldn't like see people i didn't go so i don't think i got like the full experience Mm -hmm. um that being said like it was still interesting and like I learned a lot about my attachment to my phone because the day that I got my phone back I really felt like my heart was like palpitating in response to like (laughs) it was very creepy and I didn't like it and it made me like want to use my phone less in general.
1: So what was that like you got your phone back and what's the first thing that you did?
0: Um well firstly like I had like almost no service so I was like I went out to the main road and I walked for like 20 minutes just to like try to find some service also at at these retreats you don't really have to go to anything like you can kind of just they don't like take attendance or or anything
1: Mm. was it a specific retreat like did it have a name when did you go how many people were there
0: yeah it was called it was at spirit rock um yeah the retreat the retreat was called moving into meditation which i think is like recommended as one of their starter retreats because it's really gentle yoga but uh it is like I've heard the retreats are really hard on people's bodies. I don't know, I've, I don't know, have you ever been on one?
1: Yeah, not not this one, but I've been on a retreat before, yeah.
0: Did you find it like physically painful to be sitting?
1: You know, I always find it physically painful to be sitting. I feel that it's physically painful right now. <laughs> so, yeah.
0: Yeah, that makes sense, yeah. Um, yeah, so this one, I, I will say, you might like this one then if, if you like Northern California it's called moving Mm -hmm. into meditation because you're you do sit a ton but you also do a lot of like movement meditations so your body is like stretched out um yeah
1: normally when i meditate i lay down
0: okay (laughs) you can also you can do that at this one and i've heard that at other spirit rock ones they don't um like people to lay down so i'd recommend this one um and there were probably 100 people there um yeah I mean, I didn't really get to know anyone except, um, you know, my roommate and I talked on, like, the first day and then again on the last day. And she had, like, a much better experience than I did. Like, she said that she felt like she was, like, seeing things in brighter colors. And I was like, okay, I'm I'm suffering from, like, a little bit of PTSD. <laughs> but, um, yeah, it was – I mean, it was a cool experience. So what was
1: that? That must have been interesting. You're living with a stranger and you don't speak.
0: I know. I had, like – I think it kind of, like, also, like, tapped into my anxieties about just, like, being judged because basically, like – there's, like, 11 hours of, like, structured meditation a day, and I did not go to all of them. And a lot of the time, also, like, I brought books. Like, I love to read. And uh, I had, like, thought that this would be, like, a chance to read a ton. And then they said on, like, the first night that you're not really supposed to read. But I was, like, I'm still going. I don't know. Like, I'm giving up all my electronics. Like, I'm going to read. So there were, like, times where, like, I would skip the meditation and be in my room reading, and then she would come in after, and I'd be, like, oh, my God, she's judging me so hard. She thinks I'm, like, such a slacker. And I had all this resentment. And then I was like, she doesn't care. Like, I don't know. Like, it just, like, was so interesting how quickly I jumped to, like, being ashamed of myself. And I was like, she's not here to, like, judge people. Like, and she was so nice when we talked on, on the last day. She was like, yeah, I was, like, worried about you. Like, you seemed kind of, like, beaten up at one point. And I was like, yeah, I was, like, oh. literally, like, had, because I also, after I got lost in the woods, I was, like, covered in scratches and stuff. Like, what? And bug bites. Oh, yeah. It was, like, pretty insane. Yeah. <laughs> um and yeah, but uh, yeah, she was nice. Um, it is
1: interesting because we definitely I feel we always feel judged, but it's kind of just our own judgments against ourselves.
0: Yeah. And it was because we couldn't talk and I couldn't like explain to her like I wanted to be like, I can't go to the meditation because I'm really stressed out about watching the sun go down. Like and I just want to like sit in my room instead and read like, I don't know. It was interesting, though, like just that that was my thought that I was being judged.
1: Um, Okay, so when you wrote about the seven day retreat, you wrote about trusting the innate wisdom of your body. Do you feel like that's something that you kind of learned while you were there? Or were you already kind of on that journey?
0: Yeah, um, I think I definitely learned a lot while I was there. And like, something I was kind of even nervous about writing about it's like, it's like, we all have different bodies. So I don't want to like, assume that it's going to work for everyone to like trust the innate wisdom of their body. Like I get frustrated when people kind of try to use that as like lifestyle advice. Like I have a lot of trouble sleeping. And when people are like, just go to bed when you're tired, I'm like, that doesn't really work Mm. for me. But, um, yeah, I did learn a lot about trusting the innate wisdom of my body on that retreat though. And I think like stuff like, like it is interesting that like, I'm so far removed from needing so many of my like survival instincts that I, forget they're there and in a way we even like we like anxiety is like a survival instinct to like stop Mm -hmm. us from like getting you know like eaten by an animal and we like vilify it and need to like manage it because it's like and and for good reason like it comes out in negative ways but like there was a lot of stuff where like I think I just like had much better balance than I thought I did and like like I kind of like had a sense of direction that I like didn't know about and it was like very new to me because I didn't ever have to use that like I always have my phone with me that being said like I haven't really had another opportunity since then the only Mm. thing is like I've started like cooking a lot and I am kind of like getting into like oh you know like if like I need to like use my sense of smell a little bit more to like figure out like have I burned something I don't know like I don't (laughs) have like a good sense of smell or even a good sense of taste and like to kind of like trust that like like, I started fermenting food, and I really would like to oh. know whether it's, like, fermented enough or not. And, like, the only way to really know is to, like, taste it and see. And that's, like, very strange to me because I'm just not used to, like, relying on my senses right. like
1: that. And fermented food is, I don't know. I don't know if I would just want to put that straight in my mouth, not knowing
0: if it, <laughs> oh, it's going to be it's ready. Weird. I think I might stop it. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, but, no, what – Fermented food. We had an expert that was ta- talked to us um, for the magazine about how to zero waste in your kitchen, and fermenting food was one of the ways that they recommended to. Yeah, um, yeah, waste less.
0: Yeah, it's it's very cool to like feel like I'm growing something.
1: The yoga show will return in a moment after these messages. Um, so one of the things that you um, wrote about when you wrote about quitting drinking was that you were able to prioritize yourself more. Can you talk a little bit about that?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think like drinking and I have found this even with like, I, I've i taken like a variety of like medications for depression and anxiety and that kind of thing. And like, sometimes I find them really helpful, but, and I don't really feel the same way about them as I do about alcohol. But a lot of the times it's like, um, drinking kind of has helped me like, do a thing that I didn't want to do basically because I would be like oh well it's gonna be really unpleasant but I'll just get drunk and then I won't I won't mind this like social event or whatever and once I Mm -hmm. quit drinking I had to stop doing that because I didn't have like a crutch anymore and overall like it made me a lot happier because it's like I would rather be sober doing something I want to do than like drunk doing something I don't want to do so I kind of was like using alcohol to like just sort of like white knuckle it through things I didn't want to be at
1: yeah, I think a lot of us do that. I definitely do. So you wrote a book, Toxic Femininity in the Workplace. And that was based on some of your experiences from working in tech. Yep. When were you working in tech? And what, what were you doing?
0: Yeah, so I worked in tech from like 2013 to 2016, or no, 2017, approximately. Um, I was a data scientist. So I studied math in college. And then I like, went to graduate school very briefly um but kind of decided i wanted to work uh in tech because it from like the common things that math majors did like between like finance and like tech and getting a phd it seemed like kind of the best trade-off of like work-life balance versus like you know like good compensation um so i went to a couple different tech startups um and i basically like data science um kind of gets overhyped but it's just a lot of like number crunching and like making charts and everything um and i uh yeah so i did that for a few years um it wasn't it wasn't all bad like i make fun of it a lot in the book toxic femininity and i did have some very toxic co-workers but um i also like loved uh kind of like the flexibility that you have like once i started doing stand-up it was so nice to like be able to work from home all the time um mm-hmm. yeah there was just like a lot of stuff about it that I that I uh appreciated and even like miss a little bit but ultimately it was not like my passion the number crunch
1: how did you um transition from tech to stand-up
0: yeah so I started doing stand-up while I worked in tech basically like I had this like dream for a long time of writing for television but I never like made any moves towards it and then um I had sort of a lull at work where like one of my bosses had quit and I didn't have a new boss and they just like didn't give me anything to do um so, I started uh, doing stand I took, like, a stand-up comedy class. And mm. those things are so weird. And I, like, really, <laughs> like, don't... I-, I mean, I only recommend them to someone who, like, ha- is scared to just start doing stand-up. Because the classes are, like, such a gimmick. And, like, they... It's just, like, a way for some, like, kind of over-the-hill comedian to, like, take money from people. Um, but I did... It was, like, the first time I, like, got on stage. Um, at- which mm. was pretty cool. And... I don't know it was so weird because I had I wasn't a stand-up fan before I started doing it like and I never thought I would like to do stand-up I didn't particularly like watching it um and I really do think it's just like the first few times I did it just like went well and then I was like I guess I'll do this now you know yeah
1: beginner's luck according to the alchemist exactly yeah (laughs) So I feel like the yo- yoga can be so, take themselves so seriously. Like some of us in the yoga world, we tend, not all of us, but you know, some people take themselves very seriously, but it's, it's an industry that is ripe for, um, comic relief. And we can, if we can laugh at ourselves. So I'm curious if you, um, have any yoga material that you're working on or if you plan on any.
0: Yeah. I've definitely thought about like doing a funny yoga video. I, I guess the thing is like, I, there's a lot of stuff that makes fun of exercise instructors and like mm-hmm. does like a, a parody of like a yoga instructor. I I would like to do something where I like make jokes about the actual poses. Um like a video where I like potentially just like call them by like a more descript- like I was thinking like pigeon pose like it just really doesn't make any sense to me but like maybe calling it like pigeon who's like been instructed to do pigeon pose or something. Like it just feels like <laughs> so like there's no um the yeah like a lot of the pose names seem very silly or like that kind of thing um so maybe i'd want to do like a video about that um what do you think
1: is the most ridiculous yoga pose
0: um maybe like bird of paradise like for one thing again the name like really doesn't make any sense to me yeah happy baby is really silly (laughs) um yeah uh
1: I'm just not good at happy baby. I want to be better at it. I'm like, oh, this should be comfortable. This should feel good. But it feels horrible. I like child's pose. That's it.
0: (laughs) Yeah. I also like, I fall into like a a rhythm where like if something's, if I really like one pose that stretches the right muscle, like I just want to do that one and I don't want to stretch it in different ways basically. Um, So I feel that way about happy baby. Like if my like hips feel stretched out, um, then I like just have no desire to do it. My favorite yoga pose is pigeon, definitely. It, like, always has been. And I've heard that yeah. that has something to do with, like, the rotation of my hips. But, um, yeah, definitely that's, like, always been my favorite. Um, the Yeah, bird of paradise. I mean, I'm, like, I also i am not flexible at all, but I'm double jointed in my shoulders. And bird of paradise was, like, the first yoga pose I was able to do that, like, was sort of advanced when I was, like, very new to yoga. And it, like, shocked the instructor because, like, I, like, couldn't do, like, chaturanga. Like, I just, like, was not at all good at doing the poses. But I was, like, able to do that one because of my double-jointed shoulders. So I think maybe I'm, like, attached to it. But it's, like, very strange. And I feel like once you get into it, you just sort of, like, hop around. Um,
1: yeah. So I truly don't know if I've ever seen a double-jointed shoulder. What does that What does that even mean? So
0: I can touch my shoulders behind my back. Do you want me to show you? I guess it's not yes, please. for the podcast. But, um, okay, so basically, like... Um,
1: whoa yeah how does one discover such a talent
0: i actually like thought it was normal for a long time like i just remember one time as a kid like just like touching them in front of me and touching them behind me and just like swinging them like this and um then like someone like maybe my dad was like that's really weird <laughs> like like <laughs> did you hurt yourself and i was like no i can just do it and like i i feel like we like looked it up online i don't even know if The internet was a thing then but like he did some research and decided that it was normal but it was like very strange yeah but i do think like mindfulness also as like a general subject is really um easy to make fun of because it's like touted as being this like um cure-all like you'll solve all your mental problems once you can finally like live in the moment and be like very in touch with yourself. But sometimes you like get very in touch with yourself. And it just like sucks. Like I've become like such a hypochondriac since I like started meditating. And it's not that I'm like doing worse physically than I used to. In fact, I'm like doing a lot better since I quit drinking. It's just that I notice every tiny thing in my body. I think like that sort of like that we have this obsession with mindfulness and with like, like shutting down our minds. And then it's like what happens when we do that? You know, like that's not all that great either that's like something i'd want to like satirize
1: and how do, how are you dealing with that
0: with the mindful with the f- stuff
1: well yeah with the manifestation of like being more mindful is actually leading to mental stress
0: <laughs> right i mean i think overall it's definitely been like a net gain gain but um i think like the hypochondria like honestly weirdly it's just sort of gone gone a lot better during covid which is insane but i think it's because just going to the doctor feels not that feasible like i wouldn't go to the doctor unless something were really serious so like there's stuff that's come up that i otherwise would have gone to the doctor for that i'm like i'll just wait it out and then it just passes so like the hypochondria has gotten like a little bit better um i don't know my anxiety overall i would say is like pretty high um you know, like it kind of comes and goes. Like it was really high before the election. That was a big relief. And then mm-hmm. I had like a few days of a lull. And then now I'm like, oh no, we have so many more months of quarantine. Like, I don't know. It just, yeah, it kind of comes and goes. But I think the mindfulness, like overall helps. It just does, like, make me aware of a lot of things I would maybe rather not be aware of. Like when I was drinking, I felt very, like, out of touch with my body, which, like, When I was like extremely hungover, like I wouldn't even notice it, which was kind of nice. Or (laughs) I would notice it, but it just felt like so separate from me.
1: Oh, interesting. All right. So do you have a favorite chapter from your book or favorite essay?
0: Oh, from Toxic Femininity? Yeah. There's one called How to Sit So Your Male Coworkers Won't Think You're Trying to Have Sex with Them that I like. It's about like basically like how men pick up sexual signals from anywhere.
1: Cool. Do you want to um, read part of it for
0: us? Sure. I can pull it up. How to sit so your male colleague won't think you want to have sex with him. So you're about to have a business meeting with a man. The biggest challenge of meetings is figuring out where to sit so that you don't indicate a sexual desire for your male colleague. It's difficult because men are known for picking up signals of sexual interest from business coffees and all other places. Here we offer a helpful guide of where you can place your bum for any seating arrangement. Number one, a square table with four chairs. If your partner sits down before you, you need to sit exactly opposite to him, but you must pull your chair to one side of the opposite edge so that you're not straining to hear him. Do not sit at one of the edges adjacent to him. That's too close for comfort, and he will think you're coming on to him. Number two, square table with two chairs. If there are only two chairs and they are on adjacent sides, you must pick a chair and then slowly scooch away from your male colleague during the entirety of the meeting. Focus all your energy on scooching away and not on what he is saying. It probably wasn't that relevant anyway. Number three, round table with three chairs. The circle is an inherently sexual shape. Tits, beach balls, men's balls, I've made my point. So you need to be extra careful about where you sit. Anywhere you sit around a round table will lead your partner to conclude you want to have sex with him. So you, it's best just to say you're going to the bathroom and never return. Number four, bench. If you're taking a business meeting on a bench, chances are good you're outside. This is risky because the outdoors reminds people of the indoors, which is where they have sex. This subtle signal will not be lost on your male coworker. You should sit so far away from him that at least one, ideally two, butt cheeks hang over the bench. Number five, office with one chair behind the desk and one couch. If you have a business meeting in someone's office, they might have a couch. You can certainly sit on the couch, but do not lie down on the couch and then take your pants off. That's a surefire way to indicate that you want sex with your colleague and that your pants are too tight or that you work in Hollywood. (laughs) Number six, magic carpet. By all means, take a business meeting on a magic carpet ride, but do not bring up how sexual that song was and do not let him tell you what his three wishes would be. Number eight, horseback ride. If you take a meeting on a horse, always, always, always ride side saddle. There's nothing less professional than exposing your crotch as you get on board. You want to show this business colleague that you can mount competitors, not horses, and certainly not him. If he sees your crotch, he will assume you want to have sex with him. Number five, on the face. It's really hard to have a meeting on someone's face without giving the impression that you'd like to have sex with him. If your male coworker suggests it, the only appropriate course of action is to delete your entire social media presence and move to Jupiter. Number ten, bed. Business meetings and beds are fine. No risk here.
1: Thank you. That was awesome. Well, what is next for you? You're working on a project with Audible,
0: mm-hmm. yeah. So I'm I'm doing an Audible original. It's about um a woman at like a fictional company in Silicon Valley, and it's coming out hopefully in like March. I think that's their current game plan. Um, and I'm working on a short humor book for Chronicle Book, or it's it's actually it's going to be quite like hopefully longer than Toxic Femininity. Um, but it's a, a humor book in the same style, um, about dating. Um, yeah, and then I'm working on a novel, um. That's sort of, like, I'm really, like, in the thick of it now, and it is just a lot of kind of, like, trying to make a plot work out and everything. Um, Mm. Yeah, but those are kind of my current projects, yeah.
1: Very cool. Quick
0: flashback to what you just read.
1: Um, Did you experience a lot of sexual harassment working in tech?
0: I experienced some sexual harassment. Um, I experienced, like, a huge amount of, like, just men kind of being, like, inappropriate in a way that didn't feel like sexual harassment targeted towards me, and it was interesting because like i it makes it seem like i only worked with horrible men but the truth is that like 90% came from like two people um but that being said like i did have one boss who like weirdly um was fine while i worked for him and then after that just like sent me like inappropriate texts for like years after i uh i'm trying to think if there was ever like another i had another coworker who just like i mean part of it is that we all like went out together a lot and like there was like a lot mm-hmm. of drinking um, but he was just like extremely forward every time we went out, and like I don't know, it it kind of never came to anything. But I was just like never quite comfortable. Um, but probably my most egregious coworker. It wasn't sexual harassment, but he would just like yell inappropriate things all the time, and like he eventually got fired for throwing a chair. But um, oh my
1: gosh, what were some of the things he was yelling?
0: Like he would like call people pussies which was just so weird. One time this, he, he was a data scientist too. And his job was to like give people the data they asked for. And this woman asked for something and he said like, or, or her, someone who worked for her came over and was like, Shannon wants a dashboard on this. And he yelled like, well, Shannon can shove it. And like, I don't even, it was so insane. Like he just, he also would like never come to work and was like really lazy. Um, but when he was getting investigated for this chair throwing thing, i had to like talk to him like human resources like interviewed all of us to like see what he had done and the human resources guy i, I said that he would like yell inappropriate things and the human resources yeah. guy was like what kind of things and i was like i, I like didn't want to say it out loud i was like kind of like like the p word and he was like Which <laughs> is that? And i was like this is so embarrassing um Yeah, but it was just, he was like extremely immature and it was really all so crazy. It was also crazy how long he worked at the company without getting fired.
1: So this brings up something relevant in my life, which is that I'm watching The Office for the first time as an adult human. And, but I'm like, this is an HR nightmare. Everything that happens, every episode, it's so stressful. I get so much anxiety.
0: Yeah, no, Michael sounds crazy. Are you enjoying it?
1: Yeah, I'm enjoying it. Once I can get over the like anxiety of my skin's crawling um i laugh i i would say it's 50 percent laughter and 50 percent holding my breath like oh my god this is horrible
0: <laughs> i know yeah i i sometimes i do love the show i find steve carell can be a little hard to take at times but other than that i really like it and i love him in general it's just in that show
1: i do too i really have especially um in his later years really come to appreciate I how really, sexy he
0: is he's very sexy <laughs> i also think he's better as a dramatic actor
1: he is. He really is.
0: What I think um, it unexpected because he is so good as a comedic actor.
1: Yeah, yeah. He, he is great. He has a lot of range and he's believable and I like him a lot. But yeah, the the Michael Scott, I don't know. I think I just got to it too late, like after the, the wave of everyone becoming more PC and I'm just like, holy shit, how did this happen?
0: It's kind of amazing how, I mean, I think that like PC culture is a good thing and it really does make it, hard to enjoy things that didn't like meet the same standard i mean i was do you know anthony jeselnik no he's very 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 funny but very dark and i was like watching he used to be like my favorite comedian and like some of his stuff is just like it's just like too far across the line for me to enjoy it anymore and it's not even because i think it's like pc culture has been too in your face but it's kind of like we've seen the results of people not being pc like we've seen like it used to be like you could like potentially be like, "Oh, well, it's just a joke," and now we kind of like have learned that that's not really how things work, and that it just makes it like harder to take. That being said, he's still like an incredible joke writer.
1: We'll be right back with more from the Yoga Show. I had an experience recently with my parents where my dad like told this joke where essentially the punchline was um, like this guy getting a broom handle shoved in a place where it should not go and then i it was like this (laughs) he thought it was so funny and i was like oh yeah if you think rape jokes are funny and then he was kind of like oh i never (laughs) thought about it that way and i was like well it's sexual assault what do you mean yeah you know i felt like your jokes are making it seem more acceptable and funny and it's not
0: totally that's so insane
1: so um has being pc affected your stand-up at all
0: Not really my stand-up. I have, like, one or two jokes that I used to tell that I wouldn't anymore, but um, that's, like, I I mean, for PC reasons, and then I have many, many jokes that I don't tell anymore because I just don't like them. Um, (laughs) On Twitter, definitely, but I kind of like it because it is, like, when I tweet, like, when I do stand-up, like, the goal is to, like, make a room full of people laugh, and if I'm in a certain place, like, I might know that the room full of people is, like, totally fine with kind of, like, jokes that push the boundary, But, like, on Twitter, it's, like, I want my tweets to get, like, a lot of likes from, like, a wide variety of people. And so I kind of want them to, like, be as inclusive as possible. So it doesn't feel Mm -hmm. like I'm, like, catering to, like, the PC gods as much as it feels like I'm just trying to, like, be inclusive, honestly, for the sake of, like, the tweet doing well. And there's stuff that's, like, sort of, like, it just feels like it would alienate people and I don't understand why people do it. Like, I mean, I remember, like, the day after the election when, like, Anderson Cooper said the thing about like Trump being like an obese whale or an obese turtle in the sun. Like and then everyone was making jokes about it. It just felt like something like that is just like it, there's no reason to make fun of him for that and it it feels like it's just going to like alienate people who would otherwise enjoy a joke basically. So like that it, that's more how I think about it is like I just want to mm-hmm. like it's it's not that I don't want to get yelled at and I don't I mean I don't want to get yelled at and people can be really vicious on Twitter but it's like I want to include as many people as possible and for that reason I try to make my jokes like more PC.
1: Right and I think that fat people have been the blunt or the butt of enough punchlines forever it's kind of like such an easy target and I don't know fat shaming is one of the things that I just really uh, have a problem with.
0: I agree and it is can yeah, yeah, like yeah, totally. Um, and it's like people like it, it's somehow still slightly more acceptable and it's definitely acceptable in, in the case of like fat shaming, like Trump or like Chris Christie because people don't like them for other reasons, but it's like it doesn't really that still doesn't make it okay. And I also think if you're a comedian who can't come up with a better like joke about Trump than to make one of his weight, then you like shouldn't do comedy. Like it's Right, just,
1: exactly. There's so many things wrong with Trump and his weight is has nothing to do with it. Yeah,
0: exactly. Yeah, so uh, yeah, I think it's like interesting how like even people who are like very liberal and like kind of like try to get on board with a lot of things. Like yeah, like fat shaming definitely still like can be pretty acceptable. Like ageism can be pretty acceptable and it's not even like like when I see people make comments about how old Joe Biden is, like I think this and how like that maybe means that he's like you know not as there mentally as he once was, like I think the same thing, too. I don't think that's necessarily ages. I think it's, like, a valid thing to, criti- to like, bring up. But then, like, people, like... And then it just, like, jumps into a... It, it can jump so quickly into, like, old people are, are useless or, like, the problem with the country or whatever. Like, and that, I feel like, is, like, can kind of, like... It's, like, easy to get away with, but I, it doesn't mean that it's right. And it still, like, excludes people from, like, whatever you're trying to say.
1: Right. It kind of undercuts the, the message.
0: Exactly, yeah.
1: We're interested in your novel... So have you ever written fiction before? What is it about?
0: Yeah, so I the Audible podcast is my first like full work of narrative fiction where it's like, you know, it tells a complete story because I've written pilots, but that sort of like sets up a world um, and this one sort of tells the full story. The novel, it's like, I I don't want to say too much because it's like very early stages. Like I haven't sent it to Mm. anyone to read, but it's like kind of like a mix of like a coming of age story and like a government secret plot and stuff. Um but uh, it's been really interesting to write, and I, like, kind of underestimated how difficult it was because, like, I just feel like I'm getting to know the characters as I write it, and then they're, like, different mm-hmm. people by the time I finish writing something, so I have to, like, go back and change it. So it basically just, like, yeah, it feels like it requires, like, a lot of tinkering to get right. Um, But it has been really fun to do. Like, I I think, like, in another... I mean, I just want to write comedy in any form, like, for the rest of my life, and, and like... I can see like a world in which I like like writing novels the best because it's like so immersive. It's just very cool. Yeah, I'd never done anything like it before.
1: That's fun. Do you have a mindfulness or yoga ish practice that helps you tap into your uh, creative writing side?
0: That's a good question. I think that it generally like helps me be creative in general. I do like like a twenty minute yoga routine daily um sometimes I like that's what I'm doing right now there are times where like I want to do way more of it um I think it overall helps me but I don't like do it right before I write or anything but I kind of have my like writing set up where like I write for an hour or I like kind of like take a shower I write for an hour I like do some yoga and it's like I think like having it as like a break in between writing like sort of helps me stay creative the whole time
1: yeah yeah I kind of have a similar thing so have you given any thought to perhaps maybe a a yoga retreat slash stand-up situation
0: i would love to do yeah i would love to like incorporate the two i even just like laughing yoga or something like my friend does a laughing meditation sometimes and it sounds really fun do you do that like
1: no i haven't done a laughing meditation i do smile therapy all the all day every day especially on zoom
0: that's awesome (laughs) (laughs) <laughs>
1: yeah, okay,
0: great. yeah yeah but i would love to yeah like some kind of retreat that combines the two i do feel like stand-up can be so much about like cutting people down like not being positive and then yoga has like so much positivity so i feel like the yoga would have to like outweigh the stand-up
1: yeah that's interesting how do you meld the two
0: i feel like i use mindfulness to like and and yoga to make sure that i stay positive i mean i from like my early like in my early sobriety like that's kind of when i just like tried out a whole bunch of different like tools to have in my toolbox for staying positive. So like I do like gratitude lists. Like I um mm-hmm. I try to like uh be outside when the sun is rising every morning. That's like a goal of mine. I don't even live in like any I live in like a very like urban not um there's no like parks that I can go to like super quick but just like on the street watching it rise. Um So you get
1: up really early.
0: I do get up really early. <laughs> it it's not um By choice, it's just, uh, that's just the way I'm wired.
1: Do you go to bed early?
0: I In quarantine, I've been going to bed really early, and I love it.
1: Like, what time?
0: Like, before nine. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) No, I'm like an old lady. Like, it's so, yeah. I mean, honestly, I would literally say that that is the single biggest challenge in my relationship, is that, like, he keeps, like, normal hours, and Mm -hmm. it's like, but, like, he'll work until, like, six or seven, And then, you know, like, he wants, like, a half hour after work to just, like, collect himself, and then maybe we'll have dinner, and it's, like, 7.30, and I'm, like, I want to go to bed in an hour. (laughs) Like, I mean, I don't, stay up later, but it, like, it just, like, yeah, our schedules feel mismatched. Um, In my normal life, though, before quarantine, I would go to bed at, like, 11, but I was always exhausted because I'd wake up at, like, 6 or 7.
1: Yeah. I like a lot of sleep, but I'm more of, like, a go-to-bed-at-midnight-wake-up-at-8.45 person. (laughs) (laughs)
0: i like i mean i want like if i get less than eight hours of sleep i try to like take a nap if i can yeah
1: me too like physical nausea if there's less than eight hours yeah yeah that's great okay awesome so tell us where um listeners can go to if they want to book you for stand-up and find more from you
0: yeah you can find me on twitter and instagram at jenny hogan underscore g-i-n-n-y-h-o-g-i-n underscore
1: awesome Thanks for listening, and thanks again to Ginny for joining us on The Yoga Show. You can find her on Instagram at Jenny hogan underscore, that's G-I-N-N-Y. For more eye-opening, heart-filling, and mind-expanding content, join our members-exclusive experience, Active Pass, at yogajournal.com slash Active That's it for The Yoga Show for this week. Tune in two weeks from now for a brand new episode. The Yoga Show is produced by me and Aviv Rubenstein. Follow him on social media at Rambo Calrissian. And you can follow me on Instagram at linds.tucker. That's linds with a D. Theme music by Amory Siebertson. More from her at Amory Music on Instagram. Until next time for the Yoga Show, I am Lindsay Tucker. We'll see you on the mat. For weekly yoga, meditation, and breathing exercises from some of the world's best teachers, check out our sister podcast, The Practice, at yogajournal.com/podcasts.